Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how a four-year-old company grew four times each year to reach $30 million uh, with just 450 customers, which is quite impressive to see. Uh, and they are using something that a lot of startups and companies have seemed to have forgotten, which is marketing, uh, which is quite fun. Anyway, my guest today has been at that company since day one. Uh, she has almost two decades of experience. Sorry. Uh, oh God, it makes me sound old. I know. She even knows how to deal with sales as a marketer, which is even a bigger uh, skill in and of itself. And she's also the host of the, the Gather and Grow show uh, that covers topics uh, around design and growth. So I'm Rita Mather. Welcome. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Oh, yes. So in the intro, I didn't say what we talked about before. So for, for, for people listening, I have a, a questionnaire and people and guests can, can answer some questions. And you mentioned a term called, you mentioned marketing-led growth, right? As a, you know. And so product-led growth, sales-led growth, community-led growth, marketing-led growth, customer-led growth. I mean, it's just, to be honest. It's endless. Yeah, it's endless. So where do, you, where do you stand on that debate and why are you using, are you using that term? Yeah, you know what? It's maybe, ugh, you know what? I hate to add more terminology to our, an already confusing landscape, but really what I mean by that is our, a big part of our company's success, what I would say, is kind of because we invested in marketing very, very early in an extremely big way. I think in B2B, there tends to be this like, idea that, hey, to figure out product market fit, let's invest in sales and sell a couple of deals. And then when it's proven itself, then we'll bring in marketing. And I think we did it the other way around, which is part of how we rev the engine from day one. And that's what I'm calling marketing-led growth, which is weirdly uncommon at B2B. I don't understand it, but it's so uncommon. Um, and I, I can tell them more of that story if you'd like. Yeah, so why, why do you feel it's un uncommon in general in that space? I think it might be something to do with how companies think about efficiency. And I right. think I think it might be to do with um, companies not necessarily having a well-defined product, which is often the case with startups, right? You don't really know what the product is and you won't really know how you're going to achieve product market fit and who your ideal customer even is. But if you have a good hypothesis and you've run some experiments back in the day, and, and we did, right? Like before even I, I was brought on, there was some experiments run before me that gave us a degree of confidence that, ah, oh, there's something here, let's build this puppy out. And I think one of the other ingredients that was helpful in our case was that not only did we invest in marketing very early from day one, we threw a lot of money at it. Um, which, you know, in theory could go to having a lot of sales bodies and doing like the brute force style, go from company to company to try to figure out if that's something that they would need. But we said, you know what? Like what I remember to this day, the CEO said to me, he used this line. He said, I don't care about revenue. And this is crazy for a CEO to say, I don't care about revenue, but I care about your rate of learning. And he was like, I want us to learn really fast. And what is the best way for us to learn really fast? And that was like mass sort of marketing. Um, we just, you know, blasted a bunch of stuff out there, invested a lot in performance marketing. I literally threw up like two landing pages 
and I just saw like who was coming through the door, who was actually booking demos with us, what were the talk tracks, what were, what were the calls like. We just learned so quickly in four months and then we knew what this thing was going to be when we grew up. Great. Okay. Well, I think it's a good intro to everything I wanted to ask you, which is basically I want to I want to make you you know come back to those days where you were hired or even before because sometimes most of the time you talk to the company in depth before joining, especially at your role. Um, and like, let's tell that story, and let's try to tell that story from. I would say a vulnerable slash authentic way. Uh, it's way too fucking easy, especially marketing, to have like this brilliant case study of we've done everything so well and all of that. Yeah. So I really want to, like, even though if it's painful, even though you might have forgotten some part, even even though you might not want to share everything, um, I will challenge you to try to share as much as uh, when it comes to the bad stuff, the stuff that you failed, the stuff where you nearly got fired or that yeah. you were like very anxious and all that. So Oh, I was nearly fired so many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just VP of marketing, like that's just what happens. Um okay, so take me back to when you got hired at that stage, Superside, uh, which is a company you work for. Um and uh, actually, let me let me let me pause here. Let's define what Superside does briefly so people understand the context. Sure. Yeah, we're essentially a design services and tech company that helps uh, large teams, large marketing teams get design done. That's basically it. And the the place that we've chosen to play in is in this area of like full service design. So we're not like a niche boutique shop. So it's like full, like anything under the sun you need from a design and creative purpose, you know, could be like videos for your TikTok all the way to like um, iconography, all the way to like a rebrand and the artifacts that come from that, all of that under the sun. Um, and we've also chosen to kind of play in the let's just call it campaign execution space. So we're not gonna help you brainstorm and figure out, ooh, how to launch Coca-Cola in Brazil and you know what, we're, that's not us. But if you know how to launch that and you're like, okay, I need you know this, min, this much for my Instagram reels and this is what I need for my billboards and whatever those campaign artifacts are, we can help you execute that. Um, cool. And we've okay. done it in a way that where like efficiency is at its core um, and we've built like our own design ops platform to help enable all of that stuff. I have a feeling you're going to sell that design ops platform one of these days um, as a software. I'm sure it's one of the game plan. Sorry to share the, the secret out, but uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. Anyway, so I wish I could afford it. It's definitely not for like, you know, folks like me. Uh, it's like for bigger brands, but fuck, I wish there was something like that where I could just do this because I'm design wise, I'm shit. Anyway, so going back to the days when you started to talk about the founders, um, Let's let's go to that place. So why did you join in the first place? Like what what was the discussion like? Yeah, it was it was very so I had already I was like super burnt out from my last job and I had already decided to leave. Um, why what happened? So, oh man, like hard to unpack everything and like I I think my body will start reacting to I'm that. Sorry. So you might see me shiver, but no, it was just it was it was um it was definitely like a boot camp. Like I appreciate that part of it. It was like a hardcore boot startup boot camp. But I think as a company, the DNA did not uh, love, respect, or value marketing. So I think <laughs> the entire team was always in this mode of trying to prove its value, and everything mm. was an uphill battle. So that was one. And then there's there was other parts. Um, you know, I think a number of people, perhaps our CMO was poorly managed and sometimes you know people pass that shit down and that shit 
can like affect you. Um, anyway, we went through so many transitions and after like two and a half, three years of working there, I was just like totally done. I had developed insomnia. I wasn't sleeping. It was like really bad. So I was just like, this is like, I could literally die. So this is not worth it. And I don't have that much equity to like make it worth it. So I literally like decide, I woke up one morning and I was like, that's it. I'm done. And I went into the office that day and I was like, peace out. I'm done. Like I'm leaving. I gave my like three weeks notice or four weeks notice or whatever that was. And that's it. Um, and so then I went on this like long vacation to Europe with my family because my nephew was turning one and like my mom was like, let's do the road trip. And like, it was like me, my husband, my mom, all of us in this like car together going through countries. And I was like, you know what? I, I mean, I just met so many Europeans and I was just like, there's a whole ecosystem here. Like, why have I never considered working for like, like a European ass company? And it was so serendipitous and weird, but I got this like email from a recruiter in my inbox. And at that point I was just saying yes to every call. And this recruiter just was so friggin' prepared. He like sent me a deck about the company. He told me about the investors, the vision. It was fucking built out. I was like, damn, these guys are prepared. So I was like, yes, I will absolutely take that call. And the first call was all of the founders together. And I was in a hotel room in Prague. I was late for that call because I couldn't find parking in Prague. Terrible. It was, I felt so bad. I sent them an email and my internet wasn't working, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we got on this call and the call was booked for like 45 minutes. And I think we talked for like two hours. And like my mind was just like blown by like how big they were thinking and like the space that they wanted to tackle and how they weren't like getting sucked into the usual, like I'm an agency or whatever, right? Like they had this vision. I was like, I've never done their super early stage startup before. And I knew that I would have a lot of input into product strategy, which is somewhere that I wanted to go. So I was like, you know what? I already don't have a job. So fuck it. Like, let's just do this. Like, what's the worst that'll happen? I'll get fired in four or five months. Fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And in Europe, it's funny. Like, we have electricity. We have internet. Like, there's a lot. We have food. We have cars. It's it's quite advanced uh, civilization. Um, <laughs> Not like Canada. <laughs> yeah. Uh, free healthcare in France. Um, well, that. yeah. Free healthcare, yeah. but their retirement thing is under question now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't, don't start. Okay. So, um, what stage are we talking about? So, you said early stage. So, what, where were they early. when you joined? There was nothing. There was, like, a sort of half asked uh, design ops platform, which we didn't even acknowledge as a design ops platform. It was really just a way for us to um, funnel projects around and make sure like the right people were picking okay. it up. So it was this very, very nascent. And it was a very sort of kind of like what you were describing earlier, like almost like what I call like a pay as you go style service. You're, you're whoever, Joe Schmo, you could be at a big company, you could have your own podcast, you could be whoever off the street and you wanted some design thing done. You could just go to, you know, before SuperSight, we were called Consus. So you could go to Consus.com, punch in what you need. And like, you could say, oh my God, the deadline is I need this for my keynote, which is happening at 3 p.m. tomorrow. And literally in 12 hours, we would turn something around, right? So it was like this like really fast, um, execution oriented design service that we had kind of tested with some companies, but it was mostly individual people just coming through the door. It wasn't that different than a classic freelancer marketplace. Love like it. in at the time we would be more of a competitor for of Fiverr. Love it. That's great because actually that's no, that's great. And there's so many questions now. So let's start. Um, just before for context because i'm curious i didn't check that out actually the the the, the founders they obviously had experience before right in the startup yeah. world right well uh, yeah sort of um yeah i'd say so i'd or say so i'd money, say like no? with 
Yeah, so they all went through Y Combinator, right? right. Like right before I joined. Um, before right there, that, yeah. the CEO had co-founded a actually fashion startup, weirdly in Indonesia, which okay. apparently did really well. And he got okay. like a whole insight into like e-commerce. And his, th this actually came from his need. He was just like, I need so much creative and design, and it's virtually impossible to get good quality, high you know, high quality, but fast yep. turnaround design. Like that there's like something yeah, yeah. about the quality price and you know, Impossible. that triangle of like, you can't get all three, you can only yeah. get two. That's the thing that was bugging him, right? And he was like, I'm yeah. gonna build this. Like he was like, I'm gonna fucking build this. Okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, but you're not, you're not cheap. So there's, there's two out of the three. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're not cheap, know. but we're cheaper than the typical options available. We're actually yeah. like we've settled at around sixty to eighty dollars an hour if you want to break it down into an hour. Yeah, yeah which is and then if you if you take into consideration the time spent and the worry and all of that, there's other costs than just money monetary. So I get totally you. cool. Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. So that came from a need, which is always one of the best way to start something. Um, so at the start, you were targeting pretty much everyone right which is yeah it was like who it was like all a search play someone searching uh whatever i you know 24 hour turnaround for whatever whatever keyword you know deck video what have you oh, right, so it was okay. just it was mainly a search play and it was like a very immediate need kind of thing and the traffic that we were capitalizing on was like someone like it's like urgent like i need yeah. this right like right okay. now that I'd, was very much we, sorry to cut you go ahead no, no, no problem. Um, so that was it. And of course, like the, as you can imagine, the recurring nature of that and the, the repeat customer nature wasn't really there. Like sometimes people would come back to us because they'd used us, they had a good experience and they were like, oh, six months from now, if I have need, I'll go back to them. But there wasn't like really like this like recurring thing. So it was just like a leaky bucket, like right that, that that's what happens with all of these like services. Like people come in, they use you, you operationalize that process. Maybe you're super freaking efficient, have great margins. And then it's like, you never see them again. And it's like done. So when when we were chatting, this is what they were, the founders were explaining and saying like, we think there's something here for businesses, not just like random ind individuals on the internet. And we want to launch that. We want to pivot the service into something like that. And ideally, it would be some kind of subscription. Those were the guardrails they gave me. They were like, that's okay. it. That, that's what we think. And by the way, we've proven that the subscription thing has legs because there's actually one customer. We had one customer who was like a big enterprise uh, um, okay. who had started to kind of almost use us in a subscription way. Okay. Very interesting. So, so, so let's break that down. So when you say it was a search play, was it SEO? Was it uh, AdWords? It was both search, um, SEO and AdWords. Mo I'd say mostly AdWords, um, extremely high, like 90% or maybe more was from AdWords. Okay, and then yeah, of cause... course we had written some shitty blog posts that <laughs> weirdly got ranked. You can, you can control, yeah, you can control the, the volume with AdWords. Like if you have money to play with, it's quite easy, quote unquote, yeah. easy to, uh, to get, uh, to get people in. Okay. So. At this stage, their hunch was we have this one major enterprise client that is like almost paying a subscription to us. We feel like there's something. That's as much data as they had, right? That's all they had. Okay. Yeah. So that intuition then, you got hired. You're probably quite scared about like, shit, like I'm going to have to figure everything out. No, it was fun. I, I wasn't scared. I just felt like it would be fun to figure this out. And one way or another we would make money like what's the worst that would happen we would just go back to like this like weird pay as you go model right that's the absolute worst and we made that work 
Uh, but I knew, I knew it from a, cause like in some ways, like I am a buyer persona for Superside, right? Like I run a marketing team and I know how much creative and design we do today. And even if I was a much, much smaller team with much less revenue, like I would still need creative and design. So I just had a very good hypothesis for what the need was. And I think I knew very early that our main buyer would actually be a marketing uh, persona or two, not a creative persona, which is historically who we thought would actually buy us. And I was just like, no, actually the main pain points and problems are with marketing. They're in the creative team's internal customer. Um, that was an actually very early ah. insight that we that we proved out. Okay, so so let's break that down. The, obviously, it's been almost four years, and, and obviously the story kind of gets changed in people's mind, and like you know, we, we kind of round off the the edges and, and, and all of that. But as far as you can recollect, that hypothesis of maybe it's it's actually marketing people in a bigger organization. Like how did you validate it? Did you like, interview customers? Did you yep. just use your own intuition? What did you do specifically? Yeah, no, we had this intuition. We did a workshop uh, where we just like threw on a board every possible persona that we could imagine that could use Superside. And we tried to classify them as, would they be allies and influencers or would they be the decision makers and actual buyers? Or hey, could they actually be blockers? Like we had this one persona that everybody was rallying around called Designer Dan, kind of like the Figma model where they were like, Designer Dan, you know, it's going to be like a bottoms up model. If Designer Dan loves us, then everyone Mm. else will love us. And I was just like, no, I think Designer Dan is going to be a blocker. I think that they're going to be uh, fearful of their role on the team and their job, and they'll come around eventually. But I think in the initial stages, they might be a blocker, uh, which also actually got proven out. So we don't sell to designer Dan today at all. Um, uh, so that's that that workshop that you organized. Who was involved in that? So it was the founders. Um, we had hired a creative director, our first creative director on the in the company, who joined around the same time as I did, like shortly after. Um, so it was her, me, um, the three founders. Um, we had a VP of product at the time also who had just joined shortly after me. So it was him. Um, yeah, it was like a very small group. And we took we took the, the work that came out of that, the output from that. And then I validated it with real life people. So everyone okay. in my network that I could find that fit one of those profiles. So it could be my friends who were like VP of marketings. It could be like random creative directors that I was somehow connected to on LinkedIn. I literally emailed everybody. I literally linked in everybody. And I was like, can I talk to you for 20 minutes? I just have a series of questions. And I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think we sent out a survey to all of our paying customer, whoever had like done a project with us in the last year, we had sent out some kind of survey to just gather data okay. as well. I don't think that was actually very useful, but anyone that was like, you know, mid-market enterprise um, person that fit those buyer personas I talked to. I think I talked to like over 50 people and I gathered all that data to validate if our assumptions were right. I learned a lot of stuff along the way, right? So in some cases we actually learned, we were like, oh, we were thinking about it this way, but actually it's more like this, which was also interesting. So let's break that down. Uh, I'm just going to go back to the workshop. How long did it take you? I think we were in that workshop for like maybe like three hours max. Um, so and it was pretty quick. how many personas did you come up with? Oh my God, that was like the longest list, which was like a shit show. Obviously, those are not personas. Those are just like random titles. Um, yes. So then we did the work of coming up with what the personas are. I even distinctly remember naming all of them oh on a God. ferry to an island because I was in Oslo to meet the team so um, and hang out. And we were just all on a ferry together. And this ride was like, whatever, half an hour long. We had nothing to do. So we were just like, 
oh, you know, we're going to call this persona this and like, and it just started to come together. It was actually a really productive ferry ride. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that would drive me insane. I'm actually allergic. I'm not allergic to anything. I'm not allergic to peanuts, not allergic to dogs or cats. I'm allergic to fake shitty personas that companies come up with in boardrooms. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that actually you didn't stop there because most people stop there. They use their fucking intuition and that's it. And mm. then they fail. So you came up with those, you know, cringy persona, uh, if mm -hmm. you look four years after, right? Mm -hmm. This massive list. And you started to validate. So you reach out to your network, which is a smart move because it's easier to get people to talk to. Um, but they might be slightly biased. So how did you... How did you make sure not to bring too many of your assumptions into the deal when you were talking to people? Yeah, no, I think that happened. I, I think like there's also an art to interviewing, right? And I don't think that I knew how to quite do that properly at the time. Um, so there was a little bit of the leading of the witness, I think that had happened, but I was aware of it. I was aware that in some cases I led the witness. So I took everything that we learned with a grain of salt with the assumption that, hey, now we're going to work on our website, throw up some homepage and some basic landing pages, and we're just going to learn rapidly, right? So this was just to get us to the place where our website could act as a lead capture right. engine. That's really all it was at the time. So w what, if you can recall, maybe if there's one question you ask all the time where you learned a lot, what was it? Ooh, um, it was something around, I wanted to uncover like what their pains were. And I can't remember how I phrased the question. Take your time. Instead of like, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of ask somebody, hey, tell me about your, your process pain. or what your pains were like. So I, I kind of, I think, did it like a stepping stone approach. And I think I'm, I think I asked something like, hey, so what, what, what do you do? So like now you have this great idea, you want to launch this new, you know, whatever content marketing program or something, right? You're a marketer, you're, you're launch, you guys have decided, oh my God, we should do this thing. We, I want to launch a podcast, whatever. Um, tell walk me through how that process would work. And as they would do that, then I would poke holes and it's like, how would you do this? And then who would you go to for that? And what if the creative team says this? And it was easy for me to do that because I'd been in those shoes most of the time. Like I was a buyer myself, so I could like poke a lot of holes and then they'd be like, oh yeah, that's a bitch. And like, oh my God, they always say no. Or, oh my God, everything takes like four weeks. And like, I have to like get the request in there. Like, you know, went through their roadmap. Like they started like, saying these things where I was just like furiously like writing shit down is like oh my god like okay five out of the ten people I just talked to all complained about they have to like you know conform to this like ticketing like process and that's how the creative team works and I was like that's an insight that we can capitalize on that right so there was like these like little takeaways and patterns that started to develop not everybody said the same thing but at least we validated it's a pain and marketers feel it the most and they would love actually the biggest insight was we realized that many of them would love to bypass the creative team entirely. Mm. So, so that's, that's actually very interesting. So your intuition earlier on was those blockers, the creative team is going to be blocking because they will be threatened. They feel threatened by... Or some people on the design team, not necessarily the head of creative. I think there was like two personas that we still sell to a lot that we knew would be allies, which we call... 
um, like the design ops professional, if a team is large enough, like uh, Airbnb has an entire department of design ops people, they would be allies because we're solving their pain, their acute pain very well. Right. Um, so we knew that. And then we knew that the head of creative and head of design or whatever their title is, that they can think about the larger scope and the larger right. company. And so they wouldn't be blockers, but the individual designers could be. Th that was our hunch, which okay. has somewhat proven to be true. So, so did you find that out in the interviews? Like that, that you know, some people said, like, how did you find that out? Like the blocker, the designer as a blocker. That was that was an intuition from the workshop. Um, you know, we, I, I, I think I, I think I was like the only person that thought that they would be blockers, and I actually didn't interview any individual designers. Um, I didn't prioritize interviewing that group. Right. Um, And I, I think it just got proven out as we did business um, gotcha. over time. And, and, and the people you talked to, most of them said, yeah, they, they love to bypass the creative team because they are either slow. Or so I didn't you... ask that question point blank, right? So I was trying to see if, you know, I would ask questions like, if you could do whatever, you know, let's say there was no, like you had your own budget and whatever, how would you, what, what, what's your ideal scenario look like? And a lot of them kind of said, oh, I just go find my own contractor or my own agency, or I'd love to have someone on the creative team that's dedicated and assigned to me, things like that. So then we were like, oh, wait a second, we can actually sell to performance marketing teams because they need fast turnaround and ad creative. They need 57 versions of the same winning Facebook ad, right? <laughs> um, oh, we can sell to content marketing because content marketing often owns social media and they're always trying to crack new channels and like they're always under the gun because they can't prove attribution. So there's like a whole host of issues there. So they're like, they probably would love that. Um, so, so we just developed like all of these like ideas for like what the main use cases and pain points would be. And that's how the buyer personas came to be. Like we refined them after the workshop and the interviews and kept refining them. And I don't think we actually rolled it out to the whole company until we had earned our first $4 million because they were all hunches. So until right. we had earned that, we were like, okay, now we know for reals. Now let's dissect the data. Let's see who we've actually sold to, who these people are. So um, that's really interesting. I, lo I love hearing those stories. Um, I like the fact in particular that you, you knew there were hunches and you wanted to validate them before starting to communicate and say, hey, this is our strategy. This is the people we're after and this is where we should go about it. I was laughing when you were explaining the performance marketing stuff because I used to work for Hotjar and this is like spot on. I remember the struggle it was to just get anything done design-wise Took, it either took a while or it wasn't really aligned with what we wanted and stuff. It always been a struggle. So I completely get it. It's, it's fun. But it's one of those things. It's one of those problems. In retrospect, it sounds so fucking obvious, right? It's one of like, it's usually the good ideas are like that. It, in retrospect, it sounds really fucking obvious. Everyone listening would be like, duh, that makes sense. But then no one really did that before, right? At, that, at the scale you did. So why do you think that is? Hmm, that's such a good question. I've actually never thought about that. Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing the like the really smart companies solve the problem for themselves, you right. know, somehow. Um, like I've I've looked at there's like a McKinsey report that came out earlier this year that was just kind of showing the investment that certain fast growing companies make in design and creative uh, and like Nike, Netflix, like all the usuals, Airbnb, they're on the list. So I think those kinds of companies 
recognize that this is a problem area and they figured out their own internal solutions. So they don't need gotcha. external solution. And then there's like a whole host of other companies that just deal with the bullshit and bureaucracy that it comes with. And, you know, maybe they've still done good business and maybe they've still grown really fast, but I think it's probably been painful for their marketing teams. Um, and maybe they use a combination of agencies to accomplish the same, um, but it takes a lot of overhead and management. Like I, I was, I did a win-loss call with a customer. Um, they've turned since they called Auth0, which actually got acquired by Okta. Huge, huge, huge in tech. Um, and they had a huge internal team. They had a bunch of design ops professionals. They used two agencies and they used SuperSide. So the I can't even imagine the volume of stuff that was coming down the pike for them. But I can I can also see like all of this takes management. Right? You know, like you got all of these agencies, you got this internal team, you've got like blah blah blah. Like it's it's complicated. And they might have come to some formula for thinking like, oh, if it's like campaign oriented, I'm gonna send it to this agency. If it's execution oriented, I'm gonna send it to SuperSide, whatever. They came to some consensus around that. Um but that that's that takes a lot of effort and overhead and some level of bureaucracy right. and not everyone's up for that. And you know, look at look at the the environment now. Like everyone's like laying people off and cutting down. Where do you think the cuts would happen? It would it would happen in the operational aspects of it, which yeah. again um, kind of like makes the marketing team. They puts the marketing team in this like weird position where you kind of have to execute, but with your hands tied behind your back, I which know. is like really sad. Yeah, and 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 with insomnia every night and uh, being anxious about your job, yeah, uh, which is not easy, definitely not. So, why why do you think there was no competitor or anyone who did it uh, that well? Like my my intuition, my hypothesis here is that it's actually very difficult to do what you're doing uh, to actually get the talent to be able to churn things out so fast in good quality. So you need to have like such a tight process and all of that. Um, any other ideas? Um, I think people have gone gone at it with a different aspect. So the way I see the landscape is there's like two two buckets of let's call them competitors for the lack of a better word. There's like the Fiverr style marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. So the way they've solved it is okay. We're just going to be the middleman. We're just going to match up these people that have these like requirements. And, and match them up as best as possible with these like really smart creatives. But we're not, we're not gonna manage that process. You guys find each other, you figure out your shit, right? That's basically their approach um, to solving it. But it's not going to the deep problem that an entire team might have. It's more right. like, uh, I, think they, I think they can solve the individual need, but I don't know if they can solve a team need or a company-wide need. Uh, gotcha. Then the second uh, type of crop of companies that have come up is, more in our space where they do sell to businesses and teams, but their approach has been more like, hey, I'm gonna come up with a flat fee model, which is unlike the agency model. So I'm gonna charge you some flat fee, whatever, thousand bucks a month, and I'm gonna give you quote unquote unlimited design. And in, and I'm, I'm always like, in reality, how does that actually work? Like how would unlimited design actually work for a thousand bucks or 2000 or whatever the number is, 10,000 bucks a month, how could it be unlimited? Um, and so the brand promise there is you can get all your shit done for a flat fee, which is very predictable. Uh, but I think when shit hits the fan and you need like 10 things done at the same time, that's actually not possible because those things are not happening in parallel. So I, I think there are, 
companies that are trying to solve this problem, but they're just coming at it from very different angles. And maybe there are companies similar to Superside that we just haven't come across. But I, I think we've chosen to go deep in one area, right? We, we know who we're not going after. I think that's as important as saying who we are going after. We, are, we know exactly who we're not going after and who we are not a fit for. Yeah. So that's a lesson uh, in and on itself. So b before we go into that, the, the, the present, right, where you have so much insight and you've learned so much for the, the last three years and a half, going back to that workshop so you've done that you've done those persona this list of persona and then you started to, to create you say you created two landing pages right i think um, it was just two like a home page we had a pricing page and we had two landing pages most of the traffic to those landing pages came from paid social okay. which is what was a new channel that we launched to just try to like learn rapidly so so okay so you're to learn rapidly you've decided to actually go to like facebook ads instagram ads instagram ads yeah Okay, that Instagram worked beautifully for us. Yeah, Instagram in particular worked really well for us. Okay. So, and wh why did you why did you do that? Why did you go with that channel? We just wanted to. We didn't want to do the slow burn thing. Right. We wanted like really good traffic, really fast, and like you know, even if they weren't like good long term customers, we just wanted to like know who the hell actually needs this and have those conversations. And it was a very simple landing page. It was just like it was like form above the fold. Uh, which is like standard practice, particularly on mobile, if you want to capture them. It had some like very basic details of like, hey, like what, you know, addressing like their pain points. And it showed three things um, that we were like different and better at. And that's all it was. We didn't talk about pricing or nothing. We just yeah. wanted them to like book the demo. And then we wanted to have the call to see like, hey, what are they asking about? What, what kind of titles these people are? Can we sell them? What is our win rate typically? And then eventually, are they going to be happy with our service? What did you, how did you figure out the three things that you're different from the rest? Yeah, that was, again, a lot of it based. The messaging was like mainly based on all the interviews that we right. did. And like, like I said, we were very clear on who we're not going after and who, didn't, who we didn't want to be bundled with. So part of the, part of the appeal was we didn't want to say like, oh my God, agencies suck or anything like that, but we wanted to make sure that people understood we weren't an agency. So like there was some subtle messaging in there that helped um, differentiate us. And actually to this day, we get so many people, so many prospects that say, oh my God, I've been burned by this agency. I, you know, I had them on my payroll for like whatever, two years and blah, blah, blah. So we get a lot of disgruntled mm -hmm. agency people that want to try a different model or a new model, which, which we proved again in the first four months. Uh, and you said subtle messaging, like subtle words to imply stuff. Do you remember what they were? Um, hmm. I, I think I have mock-ups somewhere, which I can send after and you can... So it was on your homepage, was it? <clears throat> it was a little bit on the homepage, but I'd say like the landing pages were like a lot shorter and very particular because right. we know the attention span is like very little. Plus you're opening up the page in platform. So like it kind yes. of, it has to be very skimmable. So it was like a very stripped down, dumbed down version of everything that we said on the homepage. Um, okay. But I, I even remember the graphics we came up with. Uh, like there was this one graphic where like a guy is like just floating on, in, a, in a pool in a floaty and he's just like relaxed, you know, that, that was like the uh, illustration that we came up with because the message was around being like hassle-free and convenient and simple. 
And the story I always told my friends was like, you know, you remember those times like when we used to do like blah, blah, blah. Um, and like I'd wake up at three in the morning and be like, holy shit, I need this thing for like tomorrow morning. And like I was like, you can use Superside for that. You could if you are if you're on a subscription plan with Superside, you could like literally from your phone punch in blah, 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 do the brief quickly. And like by the time you wake up in the morning, it's in your inbox. I was like, that is the power of Superside. And people would be like, holy fuck, I need this now. <laughs> right. That was the reaction we used to get. That's really what we were selling. So the iconography and the and, and like the the illustrations that we came up with always wanted to match what we were saying there so there was this guy chilling floating in the pool because he had extra time because like he had superside to help him right. um so we tried to round it out in that way um so you know, I, I'm actually going through uh while well, you were explaining this the the wayback machine so I'm, Ooh, nice I'm, so smart yeah i know that's that's my job yeah uh, do you can, are you able to share your screen? Let's see what it looked like uh, from 2019. I, I don't think I, I don't think I can. That's a good question. Hold on. Yeah, I can actually. Uh, the problem is, um, the problem is what? The problem is. So if you're listening to the podcast right now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna describe. Oh my god, this is so old school. Aw, see how cute it was. Mm. <laughs> So hassle-free design for growing teams was the yep. headline of the homepage. Mm -hmm. And then I can see that there's Oh, there's a floaty guy. Oh, there he is. There he is. There he is. So there's a floaty guy on a massive flamingo. Mm -hmm. It's actually green, an inflatable mm -hmm. flamingo. Um, <laughs> so the, you have three main points that you're making. There is like dedicated, dedicated team stack with top design. You have improved velocity and reduced surprises. So like the 12 to 24 hours turnaround mm -hmm. and build specifically for fast-growing companies mm -hmm. um and then and, you and then we had this objection handling statement which was a lot of people would say but i can just hire and it's like yeah fucking go ahead but like we're 20x <laughs> faster okay how long are you gonna, it's gonna take three months for you to hire like four designers and then you have to onboard them and then you have to worry about career tracking and blah 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 i was like go ahead please if you <laughs> want to onboard them um <laughs> so okay Great. Okay. And then you have the form, but I feel like it's already, that's already way too advanced. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I think that's enough for now in terms of uh, looking at it. Cool. Yeah. So that, that, that makes sense. So, so you do you did this in Instagram ads, how much budget roughly did you put in, into them? If you can recall, uh, it was quite a bit. Um, I think we spent like something like 50 K a month total in, um, in advertising. Um, okay. and at the bulk of it ended up going to Instagram and we still did like AdWords and whatnot. Eventually we shut it off cause it just wasn't, it was just bringing like mom and pop shops and like not the audience that we had decided to go after. So we eventually shut that down. But in the beginning we were still pumping money in there. So it was something like maybe 20, 25 K would be Instagram. Okay. Another 20 K would be Facebook and the rest. So what did you learn? So you brought a lot of traffic there. What did you learn? Yeah, we just learned like generally we had a baseline for how people were converting. We would sometimes do messaging experiments to see if that actually changes the conversion on the page. We would like, run these in a very controlled environment. Um, we obviously learned a ton from the actual conversations after they had booked the demo. 
So that was like all recorded, the sales team, which we had just newly assembled at the time to field some of these calls. They would like share their insights back. We had a weekly meeting where we would talk about this very openly. And then that would like, you know, loop back into like homepage messaging and elsewhere. Right. Um, and obviously the ad creative itself, like the kinds of things we were seeing on the ad creative. Okay. So, so like, if you can recall, what, what was the number one insight that you learned, you know, from all of this and oh, maybe man. from your sales team as well or maybe if you have more than one yeah like hard to kind of remember all the details but i think it was that but there was a bunch of things um i think we knew that and this is also kind of obvious in retrospect but like we knew that we need we we couldn't have one size fits all messaging And that we really just needed to think about, there was like these two factions that were developing, which is like the marketing faction and the creative faction. And sometimes creative teams reported into marketing teams, but not always. Sometimes they'd have a centralized design team for the whole company, right? right. And they acted more like a service provider to all right. of these different teams. And the dysfunctions between these teams and the pain points were starting to emerge. So, you know, we just started to learn about like the language to use with them. What are their typical pains? Oh, how do we want to talk about, you know, if we're, if we're talking to somebody uh, in a centralized model versus a decentralized model, like how do we want to talk to them? Those were the kind of um, insights that we mostly gathered. Okay. Uh, like the more tactical stuff we were implementing literally on a weekly basis. What did you do next? <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> so then we said, okay, great. Performance engine is working. We're learning a lot. Tons of people coming through the door. Um, I couldn't do all of that myself. I'm not a deep performance expert like I've done it, but I'm not like a super expert. So we were like, okay, let's hire, like, let's, you know, hire somebody who can like, who's like super expert and let's build this like crack team. because this is a channel that's gonna work well for us. And it, to, to this day, it's like, you know, our number one channel overall, and it has a lot of lift Um, from all the brand and content marketing work that we do, obviously. So our payback period is like well under 12 months, so on and so forth. And a lot of that's the efficiency from performance. So that was the first thing. The second thing we decided to do is like really invest a lot in organic. We were like, we want organic traffic. What is the best, greatest way to do that? Instead of, um, instead of just doing all the classic SEO stuff, we said, let's actually build a proper content marketing engine. So those were the next few hires. And then that was also extremely experimental. We were just like, you know, should we do the traditional blog thing? You know, should we like do like some gated, like extremely high value, highly researched content? There was all these different, should we invest in YouTube? TikTok was still kind of like coming into the US back then. This is like four years ago, right? Um, so we were just like, should we do invest there? There was all of these conversations happening. So we just started tackling everything one by one. We were like, okay, we're going to do a blog, but it's going to be from a search lens and almost entirely from a search point of view. Um, okay, great. We're going to start doing some, some lightly gated content, but it has to be extremely high value because if someone's going to give us their email address and identify who they are, it has to be like really amazing. It has to land well, and that should have high conversion to demo booked. Um, so we just put all these programs in place and started investing in them alongside that. So then we had two machines, right? We had the performance marketing machine. Then we had built this like content marketing machine that was great for top of funnel and great for sales enablement. Um, and then third, a, a year or two later in 2020, we started experimenting with the quote unquote ABM or ABX machine, which is start thinking about accounts, like at the account level and saying, Are they showing intense signals? Is it worth our company going after them in a big way? And if yes, what is the playbook for that? 
And so like, that's the third machine we build. Really like everything we do is like in these three areas. Okay. So you learn from those landing page and, uh, and early Instagram ads who you kind of don't want to go after, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Which is as important, if not more important, as you said before. Then you started to scale that a bit. Uh, but I'm curious about the transition from that point where mm -hmm. you learn all of this to the point you are today. Like, so how did you start dabbling down on like larger enterprise type companies? Yeah, um, you know, it actually kind of became an interesting forcing function. Um, you know, we, we started looking at retention curves and it was like kind of, again, so obvious, but we didn't know for sure. But the retention on enterprise customers was just like way, way, way better. Like the LTV is like 36 months or more. Um, and then we also realized that the expansion, op which we weren't thinking about in the first couple of years, the expansion opportunity between those those enterprise accounts was like a lot more. Like uh, one of our early, I think I think we signed Facebook in or Meta now um, in, I think it was like our first big enterprise customer. Um, when was it? I think it was in 20, yeah, it was like in 2020. I remember we launched this guide in like Jan or Feb, this person, this creative director from Facebook downloaded it. We just like did like a light touch email drop and like a sales rep just like tried to reach out and said, hey, what's up? Like, that's it, no sales. We were just like, hey, what's up? Did you find value from this guide? It was a very chill conversation. They actually ended up getting on the phone. I'm not sure why, I think she was just curious. Nothing happened for three months. Three months later, Facebook is launching all new design for, you know, those event modules that they have inside Facebook. Like you can mm -hmm. create a birthday party event or whatever. Mm -hmm. They were launching like whatever, 10,000 of them. And they were like, we need to think about this as a, a provider needs to provide, make all of these event banners and creative around it. And she just thought of us as a point solution for that specific project. She called up this, uh, she like wrote us back. And then we were like, yep, we can help you with that. And that got our foot in the door. And then they became like a subscription for like various other things. Uh, but it came from like this very innocent conversation from a guide about, I don't even remember what, I think it was like some ad design guide or something. So uh, is, is, is this how you got your first kind of big, big clients through that? Like through yeah. inbound first? I mean, yeah, I'd say like we were like a hundred percent inbound, right? So the way that we'd set up the process just for context is like marketing was like the, the awareness and prospecting machine. And then when someone actually raised their hand and said, I want a demo, then we would hand off to sales with some qualification criteria. And of course, if that did become an opportunity, it would get recycled back to marketing. So we had that like nice little system built. And it was like very small number of sales reps, like four or something. So we had extremely tight feedback loops with each of those reps. Um, so that was, that was helpful. Um, but yeah, like our first few enterprise customers, other than the one that was with us from the Consist days, came through these like various, um, like the, just, just like more like classic top of funnel brand awareness and content marketing. Um, and that just told us that, hey, they can be acquired. Hey, there are specific needs that we can actually solve for and keep them, you know, actually provide value to the customer, not just sell them, but actually provide value to the customer. And that, oh my God, we can expand within these accounts because they're gigantic. So like, I don't know, five teams inside Meta use us now, right? Not that original team, uh, but like five other teams. So you just, every year you just like expand, you spread, you know, we're making changes in our platform right now. So some of that's automated. So we're taking a very PLG approach to that. Uh, but yeah, in the early days, it was like all brute forced. 
<laughs> yeah. How did it, how did it feel for you to have uh, after like that burnout experience before and the shitty company you worked for before? I mean, I'm saying that you didn't say shitty. I said it. Um, to like go to a place where you got those massive wins because like I'm sure you were absolutely fucking delighted to get that big account coming through. Yeah, yeah. I think while it was happening, I didn't. I personally didn't think about it that much. I. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I'm an optimistic person generally, but, you know, I also know that things just fade very quickly, right? Like no marketing hack lasts a long time just because it happened once and Facebook came through. It's not going to be like necessarily a repeatable motion. Like I just know that that may not be the case. So you just kind of keep planning for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So it's just gotcha. like this like experimental um, mindset and like a bit of like a, realist mindset you know sometimes just just knowing that it not everything's going to work out the way you imagine but listen um i will say i think what superside ultimately did without trying but what it did for my confidence and mental health was really remarkable because i felt like here is a company that not only likes and loves and has invested in marketing but we are bringing the bacon home we are actually doing that and it's unquestionable like the data shows it the numbers show it like it's just like not never even been a question and in fact in 2022 last year we had just raised a round in december 2021 like our first proper funding round uh we didn't even need the money but we raised it because money was so cheap um like our ceo said to us he was just like just plan for growth like you really need to plan for hyper growth and just like go hire like crazy um he pushed me a lot like to, to, to hire and invest in stuff that was like extremely long term which is not usually how i personally operate because i'm always like skeptical and always like trying to like watch everything and like trying to keep the payback period like you know under like eight ten months and stuff like that and he was like he was like go just like you need to go you need to go faster so it was liberating you know it was liberating and and on and the layer the you know the, the the layers of the cake you know they they eventually stack up and like one of the other layers at this company is that it's just generally extremely mm, I, there's no good word for it but like, kind of like transparent and kind mm -hmm. you know like even hard decisions are made with like a level of kindness and and it's also this very transparent so they're all like the founders all Norwegian. So like that Scandi style of working has trickled down the whole company. So they, they call a spade a spade, you know, it's, for some people it's borderline rude, right? Like some people are like, Whoa, like, Oh my God. But it's like, it's like, you know, you know exactly where you stand. You know, exactly. If you're doing a good job, you know, if you're doing a bad job, you fucking know, like, you know, so I appreciate that. I, I mean, I hope that every company I ever work for is going to be like that. Yeah. For Europe. Um, Do you have a hot stop in two minutes? I don't. Okay. So do you mind if we go over for five? Or Absolutely. Four minutes? Yeah, okay. for sure. Um, so thanks so much, by the way, for being so transparent about the process. I think that's really interesting for people listening and not necessarily just people who want to be like you, meaning like, you know, startups want to grow fast and whatever. But I think what you shared, especially at the beginning um, about the market and the assumptions and testing them, also is very valid for even freelancers, agencies, like small agencies, because it's really about like, as you said, who you shouldn't focus on, learning as you go, um, 
and yeah having like this tight idea of who you're going after um i guess the the learning i have like from from what you shared so far is that the, the success of SuperSide and the, the, the way you were able to like to grow that fast is because of the founders got marketing you know they understand marketing clearly they really understand what it is right and a lot of times folks like you uh really struggle in companies because they don't get it they think it's like promotion and they forget that marketing should and will have a seat at the table uh, for like product strategy and all of that stuff so what will be your your tip your number one tip your number one kind of advice for the vps of marketing out there who are struggling because their ceo their founders don't get marketing yeah, I think like I, I think that um, first of all, if you have the ability to do this, and I know not everyone has the opportunity, and the job market is the way that it is right now. You know, if you can try to look for companies that have a proven track record of investing in marketing, and at least someone in a position of power, like doesn't have to be the CEO, right? And marketing may not even report to the CEO, but you know, someone in in in, in a you know, strong influencer position gets marketing. They don't have to know the ins and outs of it. I wouldn't say my boss, the CEO, knows every aspect of marketing, but he values it at a fundamental level. Um, so try to like gauge that in your interview process and try to work for companies that get that or, or that you think you can lead, help them get there. Um, and then the second thing I would say is like, I think it's I think it's easy to like hide and cower and always try to prove your worth like that's I think poorly managed marketers often end up adopting that stance that posture which I did at my last company um, and I've learned from that I think I think it's just I think you just lead if you just lead with the assumption that everything you're doing is the right thing and this company absolutely needs marketing and adopt a slightly different posture hopefully people will come around to that. that. That confidence can definitely help. And you need to be able to tell that story. You need to be able to show the data. You need to be able to tell the story. I love going to town halls and saying, hey, we won this deal. Let me tell you how we won this deal. And I'll go through like literally, first they came to the blog and then they did this and then this rep reached out. Like I, I try to tell those stories as much as possible. Um, so adopt that sort of posture rather than like hide in a corner, which some of us have done, myself included. Um, and I would say like, listen, like learn from my mistakes. Like life is too short. I mean, the pandemic basically showed the light, like life is too short. You don't need to be at these companies that don't value your brain trust and your IP. Like you just absolutely don't need to be there. So if you can afford to leave and go somewhere else or Hey, even better do your own thing, all the power to you. Well, yeah, that very good tips. Um, I have nothing to say. Usually I, I can add stuff. No, that was, yeah, I completely agree. Um, what would be the top three resources you'd recommend folks listening today? Oh, kind of depends on what industry and stuff you're in. But I, I, I just generally love spicy takes. Uh, <laughs> so I like this one newsletter that this guy, Brendan Hufford, sends out. Uh, I think it drops every week or every, you know, maybe twice twice a week it's called um growth sprints just the one from the other day uh was like this cmo says story crushes tactics right and it's and he always picks like one story to go deep in and then they'll always kind of like say they talk about like a few other trends that are happening in the market etc so i love reading that newsletter because it's the kind of thing that you read like 
I don't know, maybe on the toilet. Like it's like funny. <laughs> like maybe. it's kind of like yeah, it's like boards like edutainment. You know, it's like educational but entertainment. And you know, everything's like I love like when things are like zero click content. You know, like everything's in the email. I don't need to click out and go somewhere else. That that's mm-hmm. just like easy skimmable. So I love his stuff. Um, I I follow a lot of what I would consider like smart people on LinkedIn and Twitter. I learn a lot from them. Um, uh, and like I think you know I, I think you don't have to be like active on social media. Like you don't necessarily have to contribute. But if you have if you build if you curate your smart people circle, like you can actually learn a lot from them just from like observing how they do things. Um, like I, I love how, for example, Amanda Natvidad frames her tweets, the way that she writes, I don't, I just don't understand like how she does it, but the yep. way she frames them, some, some of her ideas are very, very standard and simple. And, but the way she frames them is like beautiful. Right. So what my learning is not necessarily about what she's talking about, but the, how she's talking about it. Yeah. So like copywriting chops, right. I, I'm picking that up from her. So that's another one. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's like a ton of podcasts that won't necessarily be applicable to your like day to day, but sometimes they'll just like spark some other idea and stuff. So like I listen to podcasts about, I don't know, like music, um, you know, sometimes like culture, uh, I also like weirdly don't shoot me, but I really like the masters of scale podcast. I don't even know why, because it's some of the subject matter there's just like, yeah, like this is applicable to like two Fortune 500 companies, maybe, right? But you know, sometimes it just sparks an idea. So I like to listen to like the Reed Hoffman podcast. Um, I love the fact that you knew that I didn't like it and we didn't talk about it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like, like it's, yeah, it's and it's me, just yeah, and it's not gonna it's not gonna like give you like tools like right away. It's not an actionable kind of podcast, yeah, but yeah. you know, it's kind of nice to like zoom out a little and be like. Absolutely. What do these Fortune 500 companies? How do they operate? What are the things that they think about? And yeah. oh my God, there's like there was like this woman one time who was like had like this weird title, and I was like, wow, there's jobs like that. You know, it, it can help you with aspiration and things like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You should absolutely expose your brain to like information from completely outside of your little circle and stuff. I completely agree. That's a great advice as well. Um, Amrita, you've been a pleasure. Honestly, it's been really, really interesting conversation. The the time flew by, which is why I asked you if you had a hard stop. I didn't realize, uh, which is always a good sign. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as well. Thank you so I much have. for taking the time. Uh, where can people connect with you, learn more from you? Yeah, I'm on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, I'm Rita Mather. Just uh, find me there. DM me if you have any you know, thoughts or comments or questions, or if you have a similar story, I'd love to learn. And uh, yeah, like Louis, like this was so fun. And, you know, I love that you're like a... Um, you you don't care about like the veneer of what a podcast host should look like and do and say. And <laughs> what do you mean? Like do that, I, I do I look ugly? Like I'm not well presented? No, you're well. I mean, th- you're you're chill. Like you're not like in this like whole attire. Like your background. Oh. I don't know. I just feel like the the veneer aspect of it. Like I feel like I'm talking to a friend. Basically, is like what right. it really comes down to. Did so we just become best friends. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, Can you give me your number? I'll text you every day. <laughs> Some <laughs> random ideas. Yeah, I know you would. So I'm not gonna give you my number. Um, <laughs> the w- w- like the way I approach this podcast, and thank you for for saying that. But the the way I approach it briefly is, I'm not trying to make you look good. That's kind of the thing. Like, I'm not trying to make my guests look good. I'm just trying to get insights from you. So mm-hmm. if I cross you, if I like, if I ask you a question that make you like cringe a bit or you don't want to say, like, I don't care. You know, that's kind of the 
the vision I had for it. And it work, it's work, it works really well because, yeah, it forces you to, to ask the right question, not just to make you look good. I think totally. that's one of the, the way. Anyway, Amrita, yeah, you've been really a pleasure, Amini. Thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said your content attacks the mind primarily which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do but we don't have the courage to do it our way Mark who just subscribed a couple uh, days before said this is my first issue of your newsletter love it glad I subscribed Brianna said I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one came through the list two select all unread industry email except yours three delete and don't think twice four quickly scheme yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.